the goal of the, I guess, medical device security is to ensure that there's no flaws or any kinds of low-lying network vulnerabilities or anything that would be capable of causing patient harm or causing harm within the hospital network. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Michael Aguilar, Principal Consultant for the SecureWorks Adversary Testing Group. And today we'll be talking about medical device security and hacking intelligent medical devices to enhance your organization's safety. But before we start, I want to say thank you to SecureWorks for sponsoring this podcast. Michael, we have a lot of listeners who are in the medical device market, so thanks for joining us today. No worries. Thank you guys for having me. Now, I see that you're in the SecureWorks Adversary Testing Group. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what your group does? Of course. Uh, As part of the SecureWorks uh, Adversary Testing Group, my job is to emulate a threat actor on various kinds of engagements to show what kinds of weaknesses may exist within a certain topography. Now, as a few examples, I myself cover uh, things such as red team or adversarial simulations, uh, web application testing, internal network and external network testing, and also, as we're here for, uh, medical device tests. And my goal in this is to, again, emulate a real-world threat actor in various capabilities from state-sponsored all the way down to what's known as a low-level script kitty to be able to try to attack a certain resource, infrastructure, or again, in this case, medical device to locate the underlying flaws that an attacker would be able to utilize to say, possibly harm a patient in the case of medical devices, get access to sensitive data in the case of network attacks, or possibly uh, do an actual break and entering uh, with regards to physical security. So our testing group uh, varies with our capabilities, but we do a lot of offerings with regards to what can be done with offensive security practices. I see now. Why is medical device security such a hot topic? Medical device security is a hot topic, and I believe will continue to be a hot topic just due to the fact that A, they're new. B, we're always adding new capabilities to the network topography. So things like Wi-Fi changing from WPA2 to WPA3 and other. And we're also, again, growing as a civilization and thusly increasing our technology. And with those, these devices that we have to actually treat us are growing in capabilities as well. Devices that you normally wouldn't see having network cards on them about five to six years ago now are being included within the network topography. So the inclusion of these devices within, say, the IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things, or just within the Internet of Things, has basically increased the threat landscape to include flaws that may be found in these devices. Sometimes these flaws can actually be used to target the underlying uh, hospital that is actually housing these devices. So the fact that, again, we're incorporating new technologies and new capabilities into these kinds of devices is making it a hot topic. That and the fact that, again, these devices are responsible for keeping us alive and for the care of the patient. So again, just all of that combined is going to make it a prevalent topic for a few years to come. Well, that makes a lot of sense now. Can you tell me a little bit about medical device security? Of course. Medical device security is security just like anything else. 
Again, you have an asset and you'd like to protect it. Downstream, you have a patient and you'd like to protect them too. The goal of medical device security is to combine all of those aspects to make sure that you have a usable system that time and time again can provide end care to the patient that's going to be utilizing it. The goal of the, I guess, medical device security is to ensure that there's no flaws or any kinds of low-lying network vulnerabilities or anything that would be capable of causing patient harm or causing harm within the hospital network. Again, it's all about holistically looking at what the device is, how it's going to be used, and I guess what kind of features it has with regards to input-output, network connections and such, and basically just me ensuring that there is a control in place with regards to any kind of located vulnerabilities. Great. Now, the FDA frequently seems to talk about their role in cybersecurity. In fact, they have a whole fact sheet talking about cybersecurity myths. You know, recently I heard someone say that if you update a medical device or patch it, then it's no longer FDA approved. Now, do you also see organizations falling prey to those myths about cybersecurity not being important? It really depends on, I guess, business to business. In some businesses, um, I do see a great deal of effort being leveraged uh, into cybersecurity. Again, these companies have frameworks that they try to follow and ensure that devices, when they're created, have cybersecurity in mind. Likewise, there are some organizations where cybersecurity is an afterthought, uh, meaning that they will develop an item, make sure that it works, and then attempt to bolt on security controls after. It really depends on the ethos of the organization, you know, how new it is, and certain other things that may add to that kind of paradigm. What I see is an effort for these companies to try to do what's right, meaning they may attempt to have movement towards creating a secure device or secure infrastructure. But what I also see is a lot of um, pushback and I would say opposition interorganizationally where certain aspects of the business may think that they don't need to apply a security control, whereas other aspects may think that they do need to. And it causes this conundrum where nothing gets solved because everybody's kind of arguing their point and not really making any forward momentum. Uh, it's really dependent on the organization. But in the future, I believe, again, with the FDA rules now specifying, and especially for the DOD, that they're not going to be accepting any kinds of software packages with vulnerabilities within them. It's going to be interesting to see how these companies uh, start organizing themselves in the future with relation to cybersecurity. And I'm certainly glad that fact sheet said that it's okay to update or patch your security device. Completely. <laughs> Again, I myself am working uh, in real time with a few um, organizations to actually get those patches in line actually from findings that were located within the biohacking village during DEFCON 30 this last year. And again, working towards, uh, you know, releasing, uh, you know, some kind of notification for the general public, but also again, getting a fix in line that makes sure that those software updates are actually pushed through in an appropriate time frame and in a safe and logical manner. It's so important. Now, Michael, do you ever talk to organizations who think cybersecurity is optional? Uh, I've spoken to a few organizations, again, where 
it's not optional, but it's not part of their standard workflow. And by that, I mean, again, similar to as mentioned before, they may apply security controls to the device after the fact, or even not at all. What I see with regards to the quote unquote optional piece is some organizations feel that the devices themselves, these medical devices, are not really accessible. It's in a hospital. How are you going to get into a hospital? Um, me, myself, again, being part of the adversarial simulation group, that's pretty much what some of my practice is and focuses on, is getting into those places that you're not supposed to be in. Again, I mentioned it earlier, we do have a physical practice where my goal and my job has been to physically enter a building and get access to these places without authorization. Only authorization from, again, the business uh, heads, but not, again, the organization that is in the business. So whilst these are in, quote unquote, protected areas, again, some of my practice and um, I guess what I do as a day to day is actually getting into these spaces. So I would like to, I guess, reiterate to those kinds of companies that though you may think that these are in a restricted space, people can get into restricted spaces all the time. I'd like to also propose this to them, like what if you're trying to protect the most important person in the world? And that person is, you know, being attacked by all fronts. Obviously, you would want to make sure the devices they're hooked up to are, you know, safe and secure. And that if somebody were to get access to those devices, nothing would happen to the patient care. I see. Now, can companies build in security when they're creating a software for a medical device? Very much so, actually. Companies can follow certain frameworks to actually include security at the inception period. One of these kinds of practices is actually the UL CAP program, the UL series of uh, cybersecurity controls, the 2900 series. It's similar to the Navy RMF framework, where Again, cybersecurity for packages that are going to be deployed, you know, within the DOD go through a, a vetting process where you have to have security in mind when you are creating the device or object. Then through iterative testing with security in mind, you're creating an object that is basically security conscious, meaning that you have security controls already built into the product by the time you come up with a proto design that actually kind of is like physically like a POC. That actually makes it a lot easier to, I guess, manage security because when you have the device created at the end, you actually have security controls that are in place and actually effective. Whereas sometimes if you build a device and then try to apply security controls, some of the things that are built into the device that are native functions that cannot be undeveloped basically cause a an issue where the manufacturer cannot fix the issue unless they create a completely different device because there is no control for the way that they've constructed it. So yes, companies can build in security, but it's that I have yet to be seen as followed as a de facto. Mm, I see. Now, does the type of medical device matter when you're building in security? It really does. Some of these devices are very simple. Um, I'll give you the case of an infusion pump. Uh, infusion pumps are pretty simple systems depending on you know what kind of pump you're using. The ones I have seen are pretty much using an input-output type of operating system with little user interface besides the buttons that are just input-output buttons for controls. These kinds of devices are 
interesting when tried to apply a security control. It's difficult to try to get a binary to say run on this on a consistent manner. So that's where the perimeter security kind of comes into play. So it just it matters what kind of controls and what kind of defensive uh, measures you have, I guess, based on the device. Other devices are pretty much a full-fledged operating system, in which case you would probably want to have some kind of endpoint protection or something running that would be able to detect malicious software if somebody were able to say, like, drop it on, there is an update. So it does matter what kind of device, just in regards to what kind of controls you're going to put in place to protect that device. Fantastic. Now, what did the WannaCry attack in 2017, what would you say that taught us about cybersecurity, especially healthcare cybersecurity? The WannaCry attack in 2017, I would say, taught us that we always need to keep our eyes open and looking towards the future. Now, WannaCry, when it first hit, uh, was an interesting piece of malware. It utilized the freshly uh, released exploit MS17010, known as Eternal Blue, which was just released by the Shadow Brokers and after it was stolen from an NSA toolkit uh, called Fuzzbunch. Now, the framework itself was interesting, but the exploit itself was very interesting because a lot of servers themselves have port 445 open and did and do at that time. Again, it affected pretty much the up-to-date builds of uh, Windows. Now, this flaw was coupled with, again, ransomware to create a interesting wormable ransomware that caused a myriad of issues within the security realm and also especially with healthcare. Healthcare continues to be plagued by this, even if I'm not mistaken, as recently as August, NHS uh, was incurring the wrath of a ransomware attack due to, again, most likely open SMB shares. Now, what this did was kind of was an awakening beacon, I guess, for uh, healthcare and pretty much everybody in general, that you really need to stay abreast of uh, security issues and releases of exploit code and vulnerabilities, uh, because attackers will find these and utilize them uh, within a quick manner. Uh, Again, WannaCry is still teaching us to this day that uh, exposed SMB shares may not be the best idea unless you have heavy (laughs) segregation on them. Um, There's a lot of things that WannaCry taught us, and especially in the healthcare field, I think, again, due to the fact that some of these medical devices that are on the network have to utilize a lowered security type of posture to be able to run on the network, thusly leading to issues like this still occurring within the medical topography. Right. Now, Michael, what does it mean to hack an intelligent medical device? To hack a medical device or an intelligent medical device, the goal is to basically get to the underlying operating system and interact with that. Also, again, One of my goals is to look for uh, patient data, any kind of uh, HIPAA data that may be in a violation. Also, one of my goals uh, during these kinds of tests is to see what kind of ways I can influence the patient care. Um, To give you an example, again, say if you have a dispensing system for medicines, say my goal in that case would be to try to get access to the underlying medicine. Uh, If it takes some kind of input to say a user is dispensing medicine, can I pin that on another user? Um, You know, are there protected medicines? Can you get access to those? So it depends on what kind of device it is, but basically the underlying goal of hacking the intelligent medical device is to utilize its functionality against itself 
to be able to try to get down to the operating system level or to the root process level and basically overtake the system and turn it into something that can be used inwards against the hospital or outwards against the patient. Wow. Now, uh, what would you say is a good process for curtailing those vulnerabilities in software and or in hardware production? I would say a good process, again, was something that was mentioned previously, was like following the the iterative, I guess, testing of your device, but also following similar to the Navy RMF process, which is, again, coming up with like a security design for the device when it's in the inception period and literally just on pen and paper. Then when you develop and just keep including protections within the builds, again, you'll find it much easier to remediate anything that may be found after that fact uh, versus trying to patch something that cannot necessarily be patched and then having to make weird code exceptions so you can try to get something in a secure manner, but it's more strung together than I guess it would if it was built holistically with security in mind. So again, if they just think of the device with security in mind when pen hits paper, they'll be in a much better position. That definitely makes sense. Now, um, can you explain to us what a medical device, a penetration test or a pen test is? Sure. Again, a medical device pen test is exactly just like hacking the intelligent medical devices. Um, though, again, sometimes the, depending on client, may put like a small hospital network behind the device to see if, if you're able to breach this device, what can happen inwards on our internal network or our medical device that houses this. Uh, it's all dependent on scope. Sometimes clients, depending on how they're organized, would just want you to test the device. Others take a larger uh, look at the device as a whole, as a part of the network, and then want you to test certain segments of that. Now, what kind of security recommendations might you have for a hospital that has medical devices? Security recommendations that I would uh, recommend for a hospital that houses these medical devices to make sure that they're always up to date and patched. A lot of the times uh, patches will roll out. And due to the fact that, say, the device, if it's disconnected, that's an issue because obviously you have to manually go update that. But if it is connected, just making sure that it is utilizing the latest build of software and the latest patch that may include any kind of security patching, and also making sure that you have some kind of network telemetry around the device, uh, making sure that it's not misbehaving on the network, sending out any kind of malicious packets or any kind of unknown traffic that you aren't uh, expecting and is anomalous. I would also make sure to keep this adage in mind, it's one of the things I overheard when I was in a meeting with a device manufacturer after I had completed some testing for them, And uh, there was, again, some back and forth within the organization as to, like, you know, should this be fixed? Should this be not? Again, that uh, inter-organizational conflict. But one of the engineers, uh, you know, basically said, look, if you're looking at this logically, it's like this. Your network is only as strong as the weakest device on it. Sometimes that may be that medical device. So keep that theory in mind uh, when placing security controls around your network in the hospital. Well, that's pretty powerful. Now, without sharing company information, are there any kind of real world examples or kind of nuggets of information you can share with us about medical device security? Sure, sure, sure. Again, 
Medical device security is an interesting conundrum. A lot of times, you know, when you go see these devices or interact with them, they may be just completely out in the open. And that may be by design. Other devices, again, utilize more protected kind of manner, like with a kiosk. Uh, One thing I would say, I guess, information-wise that I've seen a lot of devices do are utilize, say, non-encrypted hard drives. It's a, it's a flaw that I've seen a lot, which again is not necessarily a killing point, but the issue arises to say like, what if the device gets taken? A lot of times these devices for some reason or another end up on eBay. If that hard drive is not encrypted, then sometimes again, when these devices end up on eBay, they may have patient data. I guess another thing I would say with regards to informational things that I've noticed a lot of times with medical devices are just the utilization of older softwares. I've seen some organizations using older real-time operating systems that are still vulnerable to uh, certain Wind River exploits and you know network TCP IP stacks that have been found for some time. So again, just making sure that those are updated is something that I would recommend. Uh, for those kinds of companies. And I guess one of the last pieces of information that I'll I'll leave you guys with with regards to uh, things that I've seen, I guess, with regards to medical devices are honestly just weak TCP IP stacks. It's the, I guess, stack that runs the network connections. But a lot of times, uh, just due to the fact that they're like IoT kind of devices and built off of like, say, just a chip and basically just somewhat of a development board, Sending large data packets to a device normally will kill it within about like two, three minutes, which is not, you know, dire unless you need to get telemetry from that device as in its uh, heart reading machine. So again, just make sure to uh, keep things updated and try to use the newer technologies that you have available that are more resilient. That sounds like sound advice. Now, Michael, is there any other parting information you'd like to leave for our listeners? The other information I'd like to leave for our listeners, again, is if you're interested in any kind of uh, medical device testing or anything, I guess, with regards to adversarial type of testing, uh, just visit our secureworks.com site and you can get connected with an RFP. Again, you can get connected with testers like myself who will be more than willing to uh, test your medical devices, networks, and other. I guess just make sure to keep your items updated and also work with the community. Uh, one thing I'd like to leave for the, I guess, the manufacturers out there is that Again, we're trying to work with the businesses to make sure that devices are secure. But sometimes, again, these vendors come out to these kinds of forums and, you know, they bring their devices and such and, you know, they have us test them. Uh, I would just say uh, if you're going to go into that forum, that's a great step forward. And then just uh, work with your testers and making sure that you guys are releasing something that's going to help future generations and make sure your future generations of technology are safe and secure. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget to download your security patches, everyone. Don't just close that window out when you see it. Exactly. It's uh, it's up there for a reason. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing these great insights. Special thanks to SecureWorks for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Mm-hmm.